1: Outspoken with White and Jordan Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard hard to beat Where are you coming from in this one? Your
2: 100% essential download Jim White and Simon Jordan You've let this get out of control Outspoken with White and Jordan From the world's biggest sports radio station
1: Talk Sport Hello and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily talk sports show. On today's episode, England legend Stuart Pearce joined myself and Simon as we look back on a big win for Brighton that damaged Manchester United's Champions League hopes while boosting their own European hopes. After Big Sam put himself on the same level as Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, we debate age versus experience in the dugout. As well as that, you'll also hear from Paolo Di after his former club Napoli wrapped up the Scudetto. Neil from Heathfield. Good morning to you. Uh, Jim, Simon, Stuart, love listening to you guys. Um, uh, Simon Jordan's candid talk is spot on, but he says he's a, a season ticket holder with Brighton and boy, did he enjoy that last night. Do you know what, Stuart? I'm not surprised. I'll tell you what, we covered the game yesterday
3: um, for TalkSport and I've got to say, I sat in that stadium and it was nil-nil on 90 minutes and I'm thinking to myself, this is the best game I've seen this season, both for tactical approach, the way both teams went at each other. um, It it was just a magnificent exhibition of football and I sat there and and I looked and, and thought, football's evolved so much now, the technicalities of football, stuff that... I said to Sam, who who was commentating last night, I said, I wish that the crowd and probably us as commentators were privy to the build-up that both managers give to their players to lead into the game. Then you'd probably understand the tactical approach that little bit more of what you're seeing in front of you. We just walk into the stadium and see the product and that's it. But it it was brilliant. I, I was so pleased for Brighton. I've got to say, I think they deserve to win the game over 90 minutes. And the place was absolutely rocking down there. They should be so proud of what they're watching.
1: They are a fantastic support down there. And I know, Simon, there there was always this rivalry between Palace and Brighton. But you've tipped your hat a few times in recent days to Brighton because of what's going on on and off the field. And we, as Stuart says, we saw it again
2: last night. Uh, Well, absolutely, it's undeniable. I mean, I, I like Tony. I've known him for a while. You know, I know his younger brother, Darren. I think they're very solid guys. No one can... If you look at the journey that Brighton have been on from the days of Dick Knight and Scout Huts with Dean onto this remarkable new stadium and this phenomenal sense of achievement in terms of Brighton, I think <laughs> it's 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 unarguable are quite far ahead of other people in some of their thinking. And one of the things that drives their recruitment policies is the use of data. That's a much overused expression, but their 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 ability to be able to keep getting good players, keep creating good sides, keep replacing decent managers. Chris Hughton got me into the Premier League. Did a decent job. They changed the Graham Potter. Did a decent job. Deserby comes in the door. The players get better. The team gets better. The look and feel of the club gets better. My only concern um, is I that I know what you're going to say. It's here. Brighton's challenges that. What they, well, you don't what, think it's sustainable. You compared them to Southampton. Well, the other I think day. it's so difficult for clubs because the reward for your success in your endeavour is the so-called bigger clubs come along and take players from you. And even if you can resist them financially, the players then become co-conspirators in their desire to go and land at bigger football clubs. so even if you can turn around and say to the Arsenal of the world I'll see your 80 million quid for our central midfield player and I'll send it back to you I don't want it but then the summer comes the player gets turned his head turns and all of a sudden you've got a problem with the player and not just the economics so whilst I would back Tony Bloom and the management team they've got there with Paul Barber who's a top 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 quality CEO, one of the real CEOs in English football, to be able to sustain it, I do feel there's threats. I, I think you, you've not got to worry about whether you
3: sustain it or whether you don't. Just enjoy the moment, almost, for these clubs. And that's true, You too. look at Manchester United, you know, they won the title in, what, 2012 all of a sudden you talk about sustaining it, there's no title come again. So mm. just enjoy the period you have when you've had that different, healthy different, period. I mean,
2: it's, I mean, it's a different level of expectation and obligation. I sometimes think that the shirt wears heavy on the Man United players mm. because of the nature of the size and iconography of that football club. So with a, with Brighton, you enjoy it. You're right. You enjoy it, not because you're a small club and everyone should be grateful. It's not like the mentality of when mm. I went to Liverpool once and, and Gerald hulier gave us a little trinket and so to David Moyes, to, to respect the fact we're a bigger football club, a little memento to take away with us, which I nearly threw at him. Um, <laughs> well, but they, notwithstanding that. Well, they give that. you a Luke? D- no, David, sort of uh, David Moyes, uh, David, yeah, David Moores, gave him, we give all the small clubs that come to us these nice. sort of mementos. <laughs> Did he and, pat you on the head? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit of that. That was uh, very which, kind. It, wasn't it, wasn't it, it? It, it was greeted with a, uh, you know, a, a litany of expletives back at him. You but, give my it point, back. but my point is this, is that I'm not suggesting that we should be saying, oh, Brighton, celebrate your moment, enjoy it, because you're in a little club. But there was a balance to be had between where you can get to and where the very nature of the forces of football will allow you to at some extent. Yeah, well, Simon, you mentioned uh, the chief
1: executive, Paul Barber. Uh, Pre-match, Alex Crook uh, did a great job, got in front of Paul uh, and uh, conducted a really interesting chat with Paul Barber. And he asked him about the futures of Alexis McAllister, of course, but firstly, the future uh, of Roberto De Zerbe himself.
3: Roberto likes it here. We enjoy working with him. He enjoys working with us. He's got a great squad of players. We're doing good things with Roberto and uh, I've got no reason to think that he won't be here next season.
2: Same for Alexis McAllister? Or is that one a bit more complicated?
3: Well, I think with, with every player that has done well for us, there's been speculation around their future and there's been interest from other clubs who are playing potentially at a much higher level than us. So we, we're not expecting to lose anyone, but we're also not expecting there not to be interested in our players because there will be. And uh, we're realistic about that, uh, but we'll be doing everything we can to, to do our best to keep them here.
1: What's your take in that shirt? He sounds less optimistic about McAllister. Um,
3: in all honesty, Big
1: talk about Liverpool
3: You know full well that, that bids are going to come in This team have done so well And the individuals within that team Have done so well All punching above their weight That it's only natural that they're going to get offers Now if the players want to leave At the end of the day They'll end up leaving The club need to take the money And just live in the moment I think You Divorce yourself from the panic of players leaving your football club. And I know it's easier said than done. I'm not a Brighton fan. But you've almost got to do that and say, listen, we're having a brilliant time at the moment. The big teams will make offers
1: for our players. Yeah. And listen, when they stop making offers, you know you've probably been relegated. Well, the thing is, Simon, if they get European football, that might stop Brighton having this image of being
2: just a stepping stone. Um. It'll oh, go some way to but it. Well, look, it'll add value to them, of course. And the, all Brighton can do, and at Palace were there, I'd say the same thing, is protect their assets. And that's what, uh, what Paul and Tony will do, is they'll make sure that if it comes to the point where players are being in a situation where other clubs that they perceive to be bigger, whether that's Liverpool or Manchester United or whoever else we're talking about in this conversation, that they become something that these big clubs have to pay for and can't just pillage. Now it is different, and this is not. Good. I don't want this to sound condescending and patronizing, but it's very different. Turning out really big performances playing for Brighton, and then landing at Manchester United or Liverpool or other football clubs where the the expectation is much higher, and replicating that performance. We've seen the boy that went from Brighton to Spurs in the summer. Now we could turn around and say that Spurs is a, is a disaster walking around. Full stop. But there's not necessarily yeah, McAllister
1: kills that notion as well because when he's not at Brighton he's got an Argentinian shirt on playing for the World Cup oh, winners
2: come on let's let's get context on Argentina winning that World Cup because they were carried there by Messi in the same way that other t- great teams have been carried there by Ronaldo to win certain tournaments so without Messi in that Argentinian side they probably wouldn't have won no, that but World Cup he knows how
1: to live with massive
2: expectations he does but there's one thing playing in an international tournament playing alongside a mercurial player like Messi that gets you into a situation where a rather pedestrian average Argentinian side can win a World Cup to a point where you're competing week in, week out in a domestic league with the scrutiny and expectation of Manchester United or Liverpool or Manchester City or whoever else falls into that bracket, Chelsea and Arsenal, alongside the same sort of conversations.
1: Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan.
2: Stuart Pearce is alongside
1: Simon and myself this morning. Tomorrow, Stuart, you're going to be up there. The Etihad. Manchester City, what will they do to lead United? How will that one work out? This is a Leeds United no longer with Javi Gracia at the helm, but with Sam Allardyce at the helm after that change was made during the week. And we were the first show to hear from Sam Allardyce. Big Sam has said since then, look, I'm 68, but there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not Klopp, not
4: Arteta. And that point
1: was put to Pep.
4: It's right. I, I, I want to be honest. So now, now look what happened with uh, with uh, for example, Neil Warnock in Huddersfield. So now a tendency for these incredible managers that have done this Premier League or this competition and better, you know, uh, in better position. Looks like now the young managers or they are with the tactics or whatever. So they are really good. They help us to be what we are, and so. Uh, Look the manager, Roy Hudson for Crystal Palace, so what they have done, so they are really good, have incredible experience, they know the game perfectly. And when he feels that is because this is this is, and will be tough because he has charisma, he will put out the pressure to the players and he knows exactly what to do in this kind of situation in the rele- relegation battle. And and looks like this, this type of all managers would the. I, I, I'm honest. So what they have done for the club, uh, they are all whatever. Now the people with 35, 40, 45, they are, you know, we invent football or we create football. No, football is already created and these guys belong to that league, help us to do it and, and that's why. I'm. So Neil Warner Huddersfield was in the last, and look, look now, he's already out for the for the dangerous positions. So, and I could, you know, express... Uh, Harry has done in, in this, you know, in this country. There are many, many English managers that have done really, really well. You don't have to be young to be good manager. You know that? So as much experience you have, you are you are good.
1: So Stuart Pierce, you will l- listen to that very closely. Pep saying that and that sounds very complimentary, and no doubt it was. And no doubt he meant it. Mm. But at the back of his mind, he knows. It's big Sam. First attempt back with Legion United. First attempt at keeping them up. Is that the Etihad? It's against Pep. And he's got those compliments ringing in his ear.
3: Well, I think we all know which way we feel as though this result's going. I'm intrigued to see how Sam sets his team up to take them on. I mean, they they listen, if they could knock Arsenal over as easily as they did, then lesser lights, you would say, have got their hands full. I, I agree with him in, in, in many ways. I, I think... We write off people with experiences. I, I admire people that have stayed in the game for over a thousand games or, or, you know, massive amount of games. And I think Sam's been in the game a long, long time. He knows the game. Uh, you know, we elevate people with no experience whatsoever. Ex-players that have, have not managed and think they're going to be a great manager. And I think it, I'm sat from the outside thinking, why are we doing that? We've got nothing to go on at all. Only the fact he was a very good player as
1: a player. So what you're saying? On one hand, we've got the likes of no, no offence, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, who've had their
3: they're learning again the
1: travails, and then the other hand, you've got Warnock, Sam, yeah, Pulis. Moyes, Moyes. Yeah, you know
3: th- these people, we write them off with a, with a stroke of a pen. I think people that have got a thousand matches and the experience that that's got. Now we're all sat round here on a table. You're better at this job than you certainly were probably two, three, four years ago. And I think we all evolved. So sure. Would that be fair to say? Or a, a, a like shot answer. in the don't dark? Don't ask him for God's sake. <laughs> I, I um, don't know why we write managers off with experience. And when Sam first started, when he was at, at Bolton and, and, and the like, he was an innovator. He was sending his staff to America to to pick up other sports. Now, all of a sudden, the younger generation of coaches, when I was going through my coaching badges... We were doing exactly
1: the same, but Sam was was years ahead in in regard to doing that. So what about that, Sam?
2: Is this the season that disproved management isn't just a young man's game anymore? I never thought it was. Um, It depends on who's characterising it that way. Neither end of the scale is definitively right or wrong. You know, there are times when you're, like everything, there is a time to know when the game is up and things have changed and moved along Or perhaps you don't have the same energy or vitality or same ability to communicate. And it's also at the beginning of manager's career, I think it's laughable to suggest that you just plonk former top players into management positions and assume that they're going to be able to do something meaningful because it's unrealistic. They don't know what it's like to be a manager. And the one thing you can't buy in life is experience. You simply can't. You can't you you know, you can, you know, can buy it, borrow it, or pretend to have it. You've either got it or you haven't. And with that in mind, there's absolute value in the individual. In the individual. In the individuals that we're talking about are exceptional individuals. We're talking about Sam Allardyce, albeit his last outing at West Bromwich Albion doesn't necessarily concur with that view but I would concur with the opportunity that Sam's being given to try and fix the problem at Leeds he won't fix it without on their own volition Leeds are not staying up they need help from the other sides around them to to stink the place out but Neil Warnock is an exception but they're not you can't just wheel out every 70 year old that was a manager and say well I'll tell you what experience is something good because some people have run their course Mm. Warnock's an exception Sam Allardyce may well be Hodgson going back to Palace at that particular time. He wasn't considered an exception two years ago when Palace said, Thanks very much, Sayonara, see you again. And then when they get some problems, back in they come. But they don't get the jobs that we're, we're not talking about them dropping into Huddersfield. We're not dropping in, dropping, talking about them dropping into angst ridden Leeds. We're talking about these guys dropping in, OK, stick them into Chelsea then. Yeah. Stick them into Liverpool. because but, That doesn't happen. Stuart,
1: we've spent a while in recent days lauding the likes of Gary O'Neill. Eddie Howe, Deserby, Thomas Franks' side of 50. Yes. I mean, all who you could class as young guys with massive futures, but who are already pulling up trees.
3: Yeah, listen, there's no right and wrong. There's no age limit uh, for young or for old. If you're a good manager, you're a good manager. If you pick up the trends of the game and you keep sort of going forward with, with what you're doing. But what I'm saying is we pick players, that, and I was one of them. Uh, that turned from player to manager, Um, but I was fortunate enough I had role models above me in Kevin Keegan and Arthur Cox that took me into board meetings, little finite things like that, what is it like to be in a board meeting, you only ever know as a manager, first board meeting you ever go in normally as a manager is when you are the manager so you walk through that door, you sit round the board meeting and listen, the fella across the table from me uh, uh, has worked, he's been chairman, he's been whatever of his football club. And how I as a manager deal with him, it's difficult when you walk through the door and you say, right, OK,
2: how do I deal with this? Mm. What, what are the politics mm. that we're talking? Yeah. yeah, it does make you laugh though, because in any other walk of life, a 45 year old man isn't considered a young man. They're considered a middle-aged man moving into certain aspects of their career. So at 45 years of age, I don't look at a manager going, he's only 45. I think mm. at 45 years of age, you should have your head. You should know what you're doing. You've been a professional footballer for all of your career. You come out on average most of the time at somewhere between 30 and 33 and 36. Ten years getting the opportunity to be a manager. By that time, you're not a young man. You're a man that's been in a sport for a long period of time... You're either a good manager or you're not a good manager. You either mm. become a good manager through experience and, and the attributes that you bring to bear at 45 years of age, or you're not. And making this two ends of the spectrum, two bookends, oh, all the young managers are good and all the old managers are bad and all the old managers have got the experience and all the young managers... It's not like that. Just, there's just good young managers and there's good old managers. Mm. And in the middle are some poor ones. Yeah. Stuart, do me a favour, second guess this for me. Because I,
1: I was mulling it over in my mind last night In comes Allardyce, Leeds, Manchester City. Second guess it for me. What's he saying to them beforehand that's going to change it for Leeds that might give them a chance against City? That Many don't think they've got an earthly, but he does. What will he do... To start propelling Leeds forward to try and keep them in this Premier League. And it's against City.
3: Yeah, I think there'll be a level of honesty with him to his players. Also as well, we'll give one or two a tickle, you know, to to maybe get a performance out of them. (laughs) He'll quite understand. if, If I was in his position, you're looking at the fixtures, you might think to yourself... Hang on a minute, we got a really tough one on Saturday. We can't go into this game on Saturday with a mentality, if we get beat, then we're back to square one. It, I think Sam will look at it as a four-game block and and portray it to his squad in that manner. How many points do we think we need to get over the line to stay in this division and, and sell it like that? So all of a sudden, you go to Manchester City, the best teams in the world can go to Man City and get done. Chances are leads are going to get done. The players have got to have a mentality. They've got to come out of that game, A, with credit. If they come out with points, it's a bonus, but it can't diminish what they do in he the next He wants building three. blocks. He exactly wants to come that. out of
2: that game with some looks. I told you. Yeah. Looksy, see, I told you. You do that against this side, we'll win. You yeah. do that against this side. He wants to come out of that game with bodies on the line, momentum as a result of a defeat that's inevitable. They're going to get beat leads. They're going to get beat. But if he comes out with building blocks that he can put his hat on and and attest to them, that's what Sam will be trying to do. He does not believe in the back of his mind that he can beat Man City. Mm. He believes that he can beat Tottenham and West Ham.
3: And if a fixture list comes out, you don't really want to be playing Man City at the moment. You and don't Newcastle. want to be playing Brighton. You don't want to be playing <laughs> Newcastle, exactly. And he's got two of them coming up.
1: As he's left, Javi Gracia, uh, the comments he has made, Simon, of course now no longer at Leeds United and incoming Big Sam, but he's been speaking, grassy. He said, We got 11 points in my 11 matches. Everton get yes. eight. Southampton, Leicester took six. Nottingham Forest, five. We left the team outside the drop zone. So, this is the evaluation that is the most crude and real about points and the place in the table. It's the most objective verdict. I mean, he's saying,
2: Uh huh. I didn't do too badly. You can't I? get away with that. Because the problem is, if you've got all of those points at the beginning of your tenure and the momentum as you come into the business here, as you come into the point that's going to get you into trouble, you're getting beat five, you're getting beat six, you're getting beat four. That's irrelevant. You managed to bank up three wins in your first five or six games and come out with nine points and build that stockpile. You're getting your head handed to you at the key critical time when you need to get outcomes. Sam's walking through the door with four games to go because they see it
3: so critical. I wonder in the future, what is the minimum amount of games? Are our chairman and our people going to turn around and say, I'll bring you in for one game. Last game of the season, we need to win it. I'm going to change manager to have impact. Well, if you're doing it with four games to go, then why not three? Why not two? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Planning for your next trip?
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station. Talk Sport.
3: I received a text from you just after... I wished you St. George's Day about a week ago. Um, you know, obviously I run the uh, St. George's Standard up, up my flagpole and then I text you straight away and and your reply is unrepeatable on air. So, OK. So, was there a flag in uh, my reply as well? Was there a St. Andrew's flag You told to it? me it, There certainly was, yes. And uh, you told me where to stick my St. George's flag <laughs> unceremoniously. And... Last couple of days, we've we pulled the St George's flag down now and we're flying the the, the flag of uh,
1: the Union which uh, for the coronation. So, And you were saying to me there, and you don't mind me saying it, you, you're en route to the Etihad tomorrow. If you get up there early, mm. first thing you're going to do is tune in yeah. and, and watch the coverage. Yeah, I think it's a moment in time, a moment in history.
3: Um, listen, last couple of days, I've been down in Brighton and walked around the Royal Pavilion and whatever and looked at the history of... of you know, the Royal Pavilion a couple of hundred years ago or whatever. And to actually this is a moment in time, a moment in history. We'll look back on this and say, Well, if it's not your cup of tea, fine. It's not a problem. Yeah, but, but, but you millions think millions of people that,
1: around the world will celebrate the, the coronation. And you think it's important that football celebrates it as well?
3: Well why with not? the playing of
1: the national anthem well, before the games. But I think they should play the national anthem before every game. No matter when. Oh no, I saw the wing. Exactly. I've got, I've got it. I've got it there. But certainly tomorrow in the Premier League, the national anthem you feel should appropriately be played on a day such as this. Yeah, I don't see any reason why not. I really don't. So, Simon, that leads us to this. Um, we have some of the Celtic supporters were singing. We, we 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 know Liverpool fans. A section of them will not exactly be all that interested yeah. in uh, the day uh, uh, that the coronation takes place. Which is tomorrow, and it's upon us and Liverpool play. They're at home at Anfield, it's a five thirty kickoff, and they're against Brentford. And in the last few moments, it's been confirmed that they will indeed themselves be playing the national anthem mm. before kickoff. Now, I mean, were they or are they still in a lose lose situation regarding coronation and plans like this? Because they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Because it's not going to be received. In a manner that it might be received yeah. at other stadiums around the country.
2: Well, it's one of those, isn't it? I mean, it's a celebration of a coronation of something unique about this country. And some people that are Republicans don't agree with it. And if they I don't agree with the principle of people going into London and, and demonstrating against this. If you don't want to be if you don't agree with something, just don't become part of it and don't celebrate it. We can understand that. But when you're asking sports clubs and it's a national sport to broadcast a national anthem, I was of the mindset on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever we discussed it last, that the football club should be asked and not told. And I, I assumed, by the very nature of their suggesting they're going to do things that they've been asked and not necessarily told. I think so, yeah. Right? So with that in mind, that's the way I think it should be. Um, I would prefer people that don't like this to perhaps not want to participate in it and keep their own counsel. But on the flip side of it, if you ask people to cheer, you have to accept that some people will boo. I've been in the camp of accepting people making noises about other gestures that that, that that they didn't like and I said, Well they've got to be able to have that opinion. I think that, that you know, there is more value in our monarchy in this country than there is less. And I would prefer that we celebrate it. And I think as our national sport, I think it's quite a nice touch that the football clubs are acknowledging that because you've got hundreds of thousands of people at football stadiums over the weekend. You know, however many you've got, three hundred and eighty thousand in the Premier League, five hundred and fifty thousand in the championship and go on you go. Actually, in situ, in you know, or, or certainly, listen, 300,000 in both leagues yeah, say yeah. Well. So, say a million fans sitting inside football stadiums across the weekend. You'd like to think that football clubs would want to do something, and that the bulk of fans would want to hear it and appreciate it. You
1: say it's a nice touch,
2: but many people will say it's a touch,
1: nice or not, that we don't need. John, a Liverpool fan, is listening to us this morning. John, good morning to you. I've had enough of the royal family being pushed upon us all the time. And what's it got to do with football? See, I don't think they're pushed
3: upon us i I think if the clubs choose to play the national anthem and you're in a stadium and you decide it's like going to watch England play or any country play, I'm totally respectful for every national anthem of the world. full stop. If it's not for you, I totally respect that as well. I, I yeah, me too. I wouldn't go and, and abuse someone else's parade if there was something going on I just down the go road. To it. I
2: just wouldn't go. That yeah. would be me. I don't know. I don't and, want it rammed down my throat. And it, that's why I question. Just question for a moment. The fact that it's inside football stadiums, because if you're having the, you know, these, these protesters that want to go in there, these Peter Tatchels that want to go into London in the middle of the coronation and put up an anti-protest to, to, to Republic, I don't agree with that. If you don't want to be part of something because it's a celebration, mm. just don't be part of it. Yep. understand it. But when you're bringing it to people in terms of inside a football stadium, they're choosing to go and watch a football match. If you choose to go into London to witness the coronation, it's your choice. You want to celebrate. If you choose to go and protest, come on. Don't be part of something you don't want to be part of. Just don't be part of it. But putting it into people that proportions of people don't want, they're going to watch their football team. And, so, uh, and that's your
1: point. Uh, so, yes, I I, I that. saying, I so I do in. understand that. I get you're I do understand it. Yeah. I do understand it. But yeah. I do
2: think but for for one afternoon, for once in a lifetime, does it really need for people to be vitriolic about it? How many people would go and watch England
3: that, that are Republicans that think, I don't really want to hear the national anthem. I'm going to support England, my football team or whichever football team of the world that that might
1: be a republic, that you might say, you know what, I don't agree with this. But so, you put up with it. So, Stuart, you you, never, you hardly ever swapped your shirt when you played for England because you wanted that England shirt. You're a proud Englishman. If at Anfield, the boos ring out, or even worse, what's your overriding emotion when you hear that? Um, I'm a little bit
3: disappointed, I've got to say. But if it was me and I was in the stadium and I didn't overly agree with the National Anthem being played because I wasn't, wasn't a Royalist, I, I would probably just keep my mouth shut and say, listen, there's a lot of people in this stadium that actually probably are enjoying the National Anthem being played. That, that's, that's their judgment call, mm. you know? But listen,
1: people are entitled to their opinion and I totally respect that as well. The, the problem is, Simon, if he didn't play the National Anthem at Anfield, The Football Club would be criticised for that as well.
2: Yes, it would. So the best thing to do is do what you think is right. And if you think it's right to play the National Anthem, which I probably think on this occasion the balance of probability suggests it is, because of this unique historic moment, then you're going to take the rough with the smooth and there will be a segment of your fan base that attributes all the outrageous uh, unfairness that the Tories put on that city down to the support they got from the royal family, which is... Rather ridiculous in my view, but I didn't live in Liverpool, so I guess I should keep my opinions to myself in that perspective. Um, but the bottom line is, is that I think that Liverpool were right if they felt they if they, if the football club wanted to play the national anthem, which clearly they do, mm. they shouldn't be doing it for the optics. They should be doing it because they want to do it. The optics should be a secondary perspective. They should feel that as a football club, that's a standard bearer for English football, has been one of the leading football clubs in Europe as a result of playing in our English football league and being one of the dominant clubs in our league should want to to participate in a moment in time so I'm pleased that they do Welcome to the Coliseum
1: of Confrontation Outspoken with White and Jordan
2: In Italy last night,
1: in Naples certainly right now They are still celebrating because Napoli did it Came from nowhere and they have led the way in recent weeks Napoli have won their first Serie A title in 33 long years From the time that Maradona and the rest of them were at the club Well they've done it again but it's taken them 33 years in which time to do it. Um, this morning, just before I came on air, the scenes in Naples, incidentally, are absolutely unbelievable. I've seen some shots online, Stuart, uh, some sequences of fireworks going off above the city of Naples. It, it really is a thing to behold. Some of the scenes on the pitch last night, having said that, uh, Udinese, with some Udinese fans confronting Napoli fans, were not of the best, That that is for sure. But on the positive side, this is a football crazy part of Italy. What part of Italy? isn't and they are celebrating big time. Back in 1993-94 uh, this man had a season with Napoli and he's still held in high regard there. He is the one and only Paolo Di Canio. I caught up with Paolo just before we came on air and I said to him how pleased was he for everybody at Napoli.
5: After 33 years, uh, Is the similar what's happened to Liverpool that won the uh, Premier League after 30 years, do you remember? So in Naples uh, last night, uh, even this morning, the people still celebrating because it's obvious that uh, it's not only uh, win uh, a Serie A title, but in the way they did, five games to the end. But uh, to be honest, uh, we, we knew two weeks ago that uh, Napoli would win uh, this title. In the way they did, uh, it was incredible because uh, at the beginning of the season, not, nobody expected you know, to see Naples, Napoli in top of the league at the end of the season, because uh, Koulibaly, Insigne, they left the club, they were two leaders of the squad, and uh, they were subs uh, from Kim, uh, a South uh, Cor- Korean center-half, and uh, Kovale, a winger that uh, was amazing this year, incredible, because is uh, a talented, pure talented player, but nobody could expect to see a young talented player exploded in an instant, and uh, let me say that the secret of this club, anyway, was uh, obviously when you win a title like that, uh, it means that everybody have done a fantastic job, you know. But Luciano Spalletti is the secret of this team because he started working with them last year, he built In some way, what's happened this year, because not only Naples won Italian Serie A, but in Europe, in the Champions League, they showed a fantastic kind of football. I'm happy for them because there is a, a full people celebrating for a fantastic season they had and fully deserved. Paolo, how does this team
1: compare to the one 33 years ago when they had Maradona, Cannavale, Careca, Crepa? How does this team compare?
5: Obviously, there is a big difference. The the, the football changes. No one of the players that today, last night, won this title can be compared with the incredible champions Naples had 33 years ago. You mentioned a few names, Maradona, careca So they are real champions. With all respect for the players that they got now, probably in the future, some of them uh, we will call maybe champion in some way. They will champion because they won the title in Italy, but they are not uh, a world-class player. And for this, uh, even more congratulations to Naples for what they have done. The player that you mentioned before, Maradona, Carreca, They played in an era where against them there were people like Van Basten, Baresi, top footballer in the world. And Italian Serie A was at the, at the top of uh, world football. You know, uh, now Italian Serie A is good because this uh, year uh, lots of uh, clubs uh, uh, they uh, compete also in Europe, you know, two Italian clubs we played in the Milan Derby for the semi final in the Champions League. But it's only one year, it's only this year. But many years the Italian Serie A weren't you know at the top. So we can't compare these players with the player that won thirty years ago the Serie A. But few of them, for example Kvara Scala, for example, in my opinion Di Lorenzo, the skipper can play in a top club in Europe. Kim, the centre half, can play in a top club in Europe. But many of them, in my opinion, they were simple, good, good player. And uh, for this, I have to tell them even more, congratulations, you were at the top uh, and you play fantastic football.
1: And Paolo, I'm in studio this morning with a man you know at West Ham, Stuart Pearce is with me. You yeah, remember Stuart?
5: Stuart He's a fantastic guy, fantastic man. Uh, I, I remember he, one of the, the figures that uh, were crucial for me because he came out with them when I, I I went already there, I was there already uh, one year. And um, to be honest, uh, Stuart is an icon also in Italy. Uh, when I'm talking to my friend, uh, we're talking about, unfortunately, I'm older like you nearly, eh? uh, Jim. <laughs> so, uh, my friend that he used to follow you know, English football. And eight out of ten, they talking about not Gary Ray, with all no respect, a real champion, but Stuart Pierce, because he was an icon since he used to play, you know, in Nottingham Forest He was young. I had, you know, I was really lucky to meet a, a man like him because not only he was a, a fantastic leader, footballer, but a fantastic man that was really more important for me. There you go.
1: Must be nice to hear that, Stuart. Must- it must not. I mean, he's he's so sincere about you.
3: Yeah, I, I joined West Ham. I was 37 years old. And I said to Harry, I said, whenever we play practice games, put me against Iganio. Honestly, <laughs> his feet were that quick. They were absolutely lightning. And I thought at 37, if I can attempt to try and deal with him to keep me at a standard, it, it would give me longevity in the division. And I've got to tell you, we played Bradford at home and it was 4-3 at Upton Park. Parlo got bought down for two penalties that he thought he should have that weren't given. Then when the third one come about that he was bought down, the referee said no penalty. He sat in the in the penalty box, refused to stand up. Harry was shouting, Parlo, Parlo, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. And then he walked from the penalty box to the, the to the technical area and said, I'm not playing anymore. The referee's cheating. <laughs> it was bizarre honestly it was it was so good but i tell you what great professional his gym ethic was was quite incredible and the ability that he had to take the ball and manipulate the ball was incredible and i walked in the dressing room had the likes of him and and young players that, that would have looked at his professionalism of lampard ferdinand joe cole Carrick, a young Defoe was at
1: the club at the time. Some real... Amazing. Amazing. Incredible.
2: Your 100% essential
1: Down. Outspoken, with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week.